This is your coffee break. Coffee Break is a sort of spinoff of the Right Now podcast, which is my other podcast. While Right Now is intended to sort of help writers find work, life, and writing balance, Coffee Break is more of, I don't want to use the word interview because that's so confrontational and demanding. So I'm going to say it's going to be a series of short, casual hopefully fun conversations with people whom I esteem and whom I find to be creative and inspirational and whom I believe have a really powerful message to share with you. Our very first guest on Coffee Break is author Barbara Kyle, who has written a very successful historical series called The Thornley Saga, in addition to several thrillers. Ms. Kyle has a wonderfully interesting history of, initially she was an actor, and then she transitioned into being a writer. And now, in addition to writing full-time, she also is a teacher and a mentor. And so she just has a lot of incredibly interesting and valuable things to say about writing professionally and gaining inspiration and making sure that you plan for the work that you're going to do. Ms. Kyle lives in Canada, and so... I had the pleasure of using Skype for the very first time, so you can judge me if you want. Hopefully the audio will not be unbearably terrible, but but if it is, please bear with the unbearable. It's worth it. I found Ms. Kyle to be elegant and gracious and just an overall wonderful guest for our very first episode. And so I'm going to stop talking and turn it over to our conversation. This is Coffee Break episode number one with Barbara Kyle. I have a special guest today. Her name is Barbara Kyle, and she is the author of several historical novels, The Thornley Saga, and a few others as well. She's just incredibly insightful and wise, and I can't wait for her to share her wisdom with you. So I guess no pressure, Barbara. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you prefer Barbara or Barb? Barbara is fine. Thank you, Sarah. And let me just say, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, I'm just smiling because I've been called many things, but uh, insightful and wise, I really like. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) Then we're off to a good start. We are. Oh, so um, I just have so much to ask you. And if you'd like to say a a few things about yourself, that would just give listeners just a little bit of background on who you are. And then I have 100,000 questions for you. So, well, not really that many, but. (laughs) Well, that's fine. Just a little about myself. Um, As you said, I'm the author of a historical novel series called The Thornley Saga, which uh, the seventh book in that series was just published in May. Congrats. It's called Traitor's Daughter, and so uh, it's doing very well, and I'm, I'm enjoying hearing from fans. Um, also, uh, one thing that I really, really enjoy doing, and, and it's why we're connecting today, is I love mentoring writers. Perfect. I love mentoring writers who are serious about their work. And so, um, as I say, that's why I'm here with you today. I, I've enjoyed reading, uh, reading your site, looking through your site, and also listening to your uh, various of your podcasts. So, as I say, helping writers is something that I really enjoy. 
I do want to mention that um, a wonderful event that I have coming up in October in Toronto, which is called Crafting the Page Turner, and I have terrific agents and um, publishers coming in and best-selling authors, so that's going to be a great event. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, so as a writer and as a a mentor of writers, that's basically my life. (laughs) That is such an amazing and worthy cause. Um, I know that for me, I would not be anywhere near where I am today. And I'm not saying I'm successful by any means, but I would just be nowhere without the collection of mentors that have just influenced and touched my life. And so I'm, I'm just so appreciative that you are willing to do that for other people. You are just providing so much value to them. Well, you're so right. Uh, writers work in such isolation. And I think like anybody in any work, and especially in the arts, it's impossible really to work completely alone. So I think if you talk to any successful writer, they will always tell you with great fondness about the mentors who have helped them along the way. In my case, it's been absolutely my longtime agent, Al Zuckerman. Uh, he founded Writer's House in New York, which is one of the largest literary agencies in the world. And he, Al has been a, a terrific mentor for me, right from book number one. So, and I could mention other mentors too, but I think you're so right. We, we really do need to rely on people whose, whose judgment and whose, I guess, I was going to say taste, but I think it's really more experience uh, in this business we really do need to rely on. So I'm glad to hear you say that. I feel the very same way about mentors. Oh, yeah. And um, mentors in all sorts of phases of life. Gosh, I just have so many things I want to ask you. Can you tell me real quick, um, is there a story behind how you met and became a mentee of your current mentor? I started off writing, I think, the way a lot of new writers do with short stories. And they were terrible. <laughs> they were, they were uh, full of high-flown language with no point. Um, then I, I learned rather quickly. And so after writing very, various bad stories, I wrote a very good one. Well, a good, a good enough one to have won an award. It wasn't a huge award. It was an award just for the local library uh, association. But it meant a great deal to me. Yeah. And once I won that for the short story, it occurred to me, I don't want to write things that are short. So I wrote my first uh, historical novel, and that book, that first novel, was what attracted my agent, Al Zuckerman, at Writer's House. So really, that book is what, is what got me on the road to being mentored by Al. It was the fact that he took me on as a, as a client, and he, he really taught me a great deal, especially about outlining. I'm a, I'm a huge oh. proponent of outlining. I call it storylining, and I often teach about it because I think it's so important. So really, it was, it was that fir- first book that, that got me Al, if you will. And, uh, and we've been together for, I guess, almost 20 years now through, through 10 novels. That is so cool. So I'm really interested in what you have to say about outlining. I'm kind of one of those writers who, when I write, it just kind of comes out organically, and I've never worked from an outline. So what would you say would be the benefits of doing an outline, or as you call it, storylining? Yes, I love calling it storylining. As I say, when I teach it, that's always what, how I refer to it, because I think as writers, we must never forget we're telling a story. To me, the word outline sounds almost distanced, you know, as if you're sort of doing something mathematical. Yes, as I say, I'm a great proponent of it. And I think that, as you say, you work organically. I think all writers do work organically. There's no way really to separate the analytical from the organic. We, do, mm. we progress, I think, in both sort of legs of the, of the journey um, together, they, they, they go concurrently. And I think it's kind of important to work on both. But the thing is that the organic, the sort of um, naturally creative, is lots of fun. And so we tend to do it mm-hmm. a lot because it's, it's such a pleasure. 
whereas the analytical, we tend to kind of put off. But I have found, and again, this is because I was taught this by my mentor, by Al Zuckerman, uh, I have found that in working through an outline, a storyline, I can't get sidetracked. I have to focus. I have to stick to what happens in this scene. What does this character want? How are they trying to get it? And what's stopping them? And that leads to that leads to other very creative ideas. Whereas if I just sort of take a walk or I'm lying in bed before I go to sleep, your mind kind of goes in many, many circles. Whereas if you, if you really try to focus on writing the outline, then you're not allowing yourself to get off on tangents, all the kinds of fun mm-hmm. tangents. For example, um, because you know, writers, because we can, we can write stories about every kind of character in the book. But that's not a good thing often. You really want to focus on your protagonist, what's their goal, Probably best if we just, in the outline, stick to the protagonist and the antagonist, of course. You know what? That is such sound advice. I know a lot of times um, when I talk about writing, I say like, oh, just be creative, let it come out. But I really love the structure that this the outlining can lend. I saw that one of your seminars is called Crafting the Page Turner. And crafting is both that right and left side because you're, you're not just creating, you're crafting, which I think is a lot more intentional and focused. And so yeah. I really love that language that you use. It is very much. And, and of course, um, we must never censor our creative thoughts. The creativity, you know, if you, if you come up with 17 nifty little creative ideas, three of those may be very workable, so then you start to analyze those. So it's, you really do work on these, as you said, organically and together. But the thing that I, I always stress about storyline that's very helpful, I think, is that I always tell writers that the, um, you're going to do an outline anyway. It'll just be your first draft. <laughs> the first draft can take you sometimes you know, a year or even longer. And what that means is that when you've finished that first draft and you've spent so long writing it, very often you'll look at that and you'll, you'll realize all the problems with it, and that can be very discouraging if you think, oh my gosh, I've put so much time into this and now I'm going to have to start all over again. So what happens when you, if you do see after doing a first draft and taking a long time doing it? The result is that mediocre work can get set in stone. Whereas if you work through an outline, a storyline, then you can be, be very bold with creative ideas. You can say, what if we did this for this character and it took me into this plot point? Uh, and then you, you can perhaps work on that for a day or two through a storyline. And if it takes you somewhere, wonderful. If you realize it's a dead end, throw it out and start on something new. Although almost always it will lead you to some interesting new place. But my point is you can be bold because you know that you're not going to be putting in six months on this idea just a few weeks perhaps or even just a few days. So it lets you be, I think, actually much more creative. So, as I say, you can't, you can't separate these two things. I think they are both absolutely go together, the analysis and the creativity. Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. You have officially convinced me um, <laughs> that I need to be outlining. Oh, my gosh. That is wonderful. And it sounds like this is a part of the process that you really enjoy. Is that your favorite part of writing, or is there something else that you just really enjoy the most about writing? Oh, that's an interesting question. I do enjoy the outlining a lot because I feel free in doing it because I know that I'm not, that nobody's going to see it. I always, again, make this point when I'm teaching writers that uh, it's, an outline is not a synopsis. A synopsis is a selling tool. You write a synopsis to make the story sound very exciting and that's in, to interest a, a literary agent or a publisher. Mm. A storyline, an outline, on the other hand, is just a working tool for you, the author, sitting at your desk. Nobody's going to see it but you. 
So I always feel it allows me to be very free because I know that nobody's going to see it. It's just a working tool. I'll tell you, though, Sarah, it's interesting. Um, because I've been under contract for the last uh, six books to produce a book a year, it means that I really do need to be very disciplined about how I spend my time. And I'll tell you that even when I have to produce a book a year, even so, I still spend, and I'm going to shock you here, three to four months on the outline. Do you really? Yeah, because that way, I always, I always really do feel that the heavy lifting of the creativity happens in a storyline because it's really about what the, who the characters are, what, what they want, and as I say, why they can't get it, which is always the basis of all conflict. And, yeah, it allows me to not go off on tangents. So uh, I, feel very, I feel very freed by writing a storyline. Oh, this is, this is so awesome. Um, I, I know that a lot of times people uh, run into writer's block because they feel trapped. And it sounds like this very freeing outline might kind of help people get through writer's block. What would you say about that? And has it helped you with writer's block? I must say that I have never experienced writer's block for very long at all. Um, you, we were talking at the beginning of our conversation about mentors Several years ago, I'm thinking it must be maybe 10 years ago, I went to the uh, three-day seminar by Robert McKee. He's a Hollywood uh, guru. He's done lots of consulting for big, the big studios like Disney. And uh, he does a famous three-day seminar. He does these around the world. And I always remember him mentioning that writer's block comes because, as he put it, the well is dry and you need to go back to research in order to fill up the well. That's an image that's always stayed with me, so that whenever I feel a little bit stuck, I do go back to research. Now, of course, when I'm writing historical novels, there's endless research to be done. But even in the contemporary thrillers that I've written also, there's always lots of research, whether it's interviewing people. You know, if you're writing about a, a criminal lawyer, for example, you want to be going back to your notes, or you're going to want to maybe do another interview with another lawyer, that sort of thing. And inevitably, that research, whether it's interviewing people or just reading <laughs> or just reading great novels that are very close to what you're trying to accomplish yourself, anything like that is research. And almost inevitably, it leads you to, ah, you know, it really mm -hmm. sparks ideas for your own story. So I always remember that, you know, going, going back to fill up the well. I think that's a great image. I do, too. So I tried my hand at writing a historical novel several years ago, and I really got bogged down with balancing the research part and the writing part. I felt that for every step I wrote forward, I had to take two steps back and do fact-checking and research and all that. Is that difficult for you to balance? That is always a balancing act for historical fiction. Um, the seven books in my historical series, they're all set in Tudor England, so it's all 16th century England, um, especially London. And... Yes, almost every historical fiction author will tell you that we adore doing the research, but we also get locked into it mm. um, because there's so many truly fascinating paths that you could follow, but you mustn't follow all of them. As I've perhaps gotten more efficient because of this is the seventh book now in the series, is I do a kind of, um, you know, you tell people in the retail talk about just-in-time inventory. Yes. <laughs> so often I will do just-in-time research. I will literally put into my draft in bold or whatever, you know, check this out where I have, I know that something is correct about it, but I haven't got all the facts about it. You know, whether it's a battle or whether it's the birth of uh, the Dauphin, you know, the, king, yeah. the king's son, whatever. Um, put it in just in bold or whatever, or just asterisk or whatever, so that you know you have to go back and check that. But don't get bogged down by stopping the creative flow, whether it's in the storyline or whether it's in a draft. Um, so I call it, yeah, literally just-in-time research. 
I like that a lot. Gosh, you have such a rich background in two and perhaps even three different careers. You're acting, you're writing, and even you're speaking and mentoring and teaching. This is just such a, a rich and wonderful, um, I think, resume you've put together. And I'm just curious if, if you took anything away from your acting career that has impacted or improved or somehow affected your writing. Oh, I think it's absolutely for sure the, the acting helps the writing. It's interesting because today I was just putting together notes for a, a keynote address uh, for, for a, a conference next year. And I'm calling it All the World's a Stage writing is acting. It's fascinating. Actors are not creators, I don't think. We are really just conduits for, for the writing. So that's why actors adore writers. <laughs> you wait for good writers and, uh, and, you ha and you're sort of scrambling if it's not such good writing, especially I did a lot of television and that can often happen. <laughs> strangely enough, today the best writing is happening on television. We are in a golden age of television. But uh, when I was acting, which was um, oh, over 20 years ago now, Sometimes the, the TV scripts weren't quite so great. Yeah. But it's true that as an actor, you, you really do rely on the writing. And as an actor, you, you do learn how to inhabit a role, which is what all good writers, I think, do also. Actors can only play an objective. What do I want? And that's what all good writing is in any great scene. It's what does the character want? How are they trying to get it? It's really the, the secret to writing great dialogue, too. Because in a novel, you can write subtext so that you don't have to have characters saying. In fact, you never, almost never have them saying exactly what they're feeling or, yeah. or thinking. It's all in the subtext. But the glory of the novel is that you can write subtext. So all of that concept of subtext is, is really about acting. So I think it's wonderful if writers could take an acting class, take a few acting classes and, and sort of pick up that these wonderful links that, that are really the same wellsprings of creativity in, in how to make characters become living, breathing people. Oh my gosh, certainly. You and I had kind of typed a little bit back and forth about empathy and emotion. And it sounds like it lets you empathize more deeply with the characters that you're creating. Yes, that's really true, Sarah, because actors will tell you um, that it's impossible to play what is referred to in common parlance as a villain. It's impossible to play a villain. Actors can only play people who want things and are trying to get them. Otherwise, the character is meaningless. So even for a so-called villain, you'll always be trying to find out what makes them tick. Why do they want what they want? Uh, and that's, of course, exactly what writers need to find out, too. So yeah, I think that empathy is all about whether it is understanding a character who is a quote villain, a quote bad character, um, writers and actors will never think of their characters that way. If we do, we end up writing just cardboard characters, and that's no good. <laughs> no, I mean, we only have to look at Shakespeare to see the, the, the brilliant antagonists that he wrote and why they, you know, everything from Edmund and King Lear to Iago, they all have reasons. That's a thrill for a writer to plumb down into what, what makes characters tick, whether they are so-called good or so-called bad. That is so true. I'm just sitting here listening to you with this smile on my face. So I'm, I'm doing this podcast uh, interview with you over my uh, lunch break here at work. And I'm like, oh, after this, I'm not going to want to go back to work. I want to go home and write and create characters and do some outlining and storylining. So this well, is really wonderful. Well, that's wonderful. I love that I've inspired you. <laughs> it makes me happier. <laughs> oh, good. So I'm curious if you have time for another question or two. What sparked the transition from your acting career to writing? 
Ah, well, that was sort of done for me. Really? (laughs) Uh, Well, not in in a way. It was when I hit the age of 40. I'd been an actor for 20 years. And when I hit the age of 40, I noticed that uh, female actor friends of mine, the roles started to dwindle, mm. especially because I, as, a, as, a, as an actor, had always played mostly ingenue-type characters. It's interesting, the roles after 40 for a woman are more interesting, but they are fewer. It doesn't happen to men, but definitely for, for female actors. So I literally said to myself, hmm, should I continue on and just watch the, my, my career start to dwindle as it has for friends of mine? Or should I start to do something else? And I decided to write, and I literally had no clue about it. <laughs> but as we've been discussing, I did have a sort of uh, in my bones sense of drama, yeah. having been an actor. But as I say, actors, um, actors don't create. And so it was just as difficult for me as it was for any new writer to discover how, how to, to create. And I did it very badly at the beginning. But, uh, but I do remember making that very conscious decision it was terrifying because if I'm not an actor, what am I? I'm certainly not a writer yet. You know, that was 20 years ago. So uh, that, that's the story of how I, I, I segued from one into the other. Um, I will give due to the Canada Council who I applied for a grant in order to make that transition into writing. In those days, they had um, a particular grant that was for artists who were switching from one artistic endeavor to another. Oh. And I blessed them and thanked them for having given me a grant because it really did allow me to make the, make the transition. It's really for, like, unfortunate and frustrating that you, know, you were forced to make that career choice, and I, I could probably have a whole separate conversation with you about that. But it, it is really lovely that you not only landed on your feet but kind of did a double, double somersault in the air as well. Um, <laughs> you just... <laughs> I'm such a klutz. You would not say that about me. <laughs> well, maybe you're less of a figurative klutz. So, uh, what would be your biggest piece of advice for maybe writers who haven't published yet and who are still trying to figure these things out? Piece of advice, I'm not sure. We have to all just snatch, when you're at the beginning of a writing career, you have to just snatch whatever writing time you can. Mm. I know I have friends who are emerging writers who, you know, write at between 6 and 8 in the morning, and some people, went, went after the kids are in bed, you know, they write from 10 to midnight. I guess we all just have to do it whenever we can. Um, it's been a long time for me since I've had that problem because I do write, I do write all day, pretty much from 8 to about 4, um, Monday to Friday. But it is a difficult, I know that it is a difficult challenge for, for most people beginning. And as I say, the only advice I could, ha- I could offer is just don't give up and, and do it whenever you can. <laughs> yeah. I love that advice, do it whenever you can. I used to have a, a desk job and I, I would write over my lunch break and just keep my little notebook at my side. And so I think that is wonderful advice. You had mentioned not only your seminar that's coming up in Toronto in October called Crafting the Page Turner, but also you said you had a series of uh, webinar videos on your website? Yes, it's a series of online video workshops called Writing Fiction That Sells. And it's available uh, through my website, which is barbarakyle.com. And it covers about 10 hours of instruction and insight and, I hope, inspiration. And it's been, um, it's been very successful, and I've heard great things from people who've taken it. So you can watch. Any, any of your uh, listeners are welcome to watch an excerpt that's on my website. I think I have about maybe a five-minute excerpt there on my website so they can see it there. 
And, um, and also, yes, the Crafting the Page Turner uh, Writers' Seminar is happening in Toronto on October 17th to 18th in Toronto. And it's going to be quite exciting with um, excellent uh, presenters and workshop, workshop presenters and speakers. Uh, I'll be giving several uh, workshops, and so will um, best-selling author Robert Gotenberg. And also my agent, Al Zuckerman, is going to be giving a, a talk, and also um, a wonderful publisher from HarperCollins, Patrick Crean, will be giving a talk. So it's going to be great. All that information is on my website, too, at barbarakyle.com. Perfect. And I will be sure to link to your website in the show notes for this episode. And, boy, in the meantime, Barbara, this has been just such an immense pleasure to talk to you and sort of glean some of your wisdom. So thank you so, so much for being willing to talk to us today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Sarah. You're, you're a dream to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this again. <laughs> Let's do it. Talk to you later. All right. Have a great day. Wow, thank you again to Barbara Kyle for agreeing to appear on the very first episode of Coffee Break. I meant it earlier when I said that you were wise and wonderful because you come to us from such a rich perspective. From that of an actor, so someone who portrayed characters, to a writer, someone who creates those characters, to a teacher and a mentor, one who shares that knowledge with us. So thank you so, so much, Barbara. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. If you, yes, you, wonderful listener, are interested in appearing on the Coffee Break Show, just send me an email at hello at sarahwerner.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-W-E-R-N-E-R.com. And let me know. If you know of someone who would like to appear on my show, again, send me an email. Otherwise, if you have any questions, comments, general ramblings that you would like to share with me, I would love to hear them. I really, really would. I love getting emails. And so you can go ahead and either email those over to me, or you can go to my website, sarahwerner.com, and navigate to my contact page, where there is a super brief and easy to fill out little form. It just, I think, asks for your email address and a message. You can fill it out. Uh, it goes straight to my email inbox within about 10 minutes. And I'm going to confess something to you. I am I am terrible about responding to emails, but I will try to respond to you within one day. You might also notice that if you are a member of my email mailing list, you may notice that I have been sending out a weekly inspirational email. If you have not noticed, check your email. And if you are not on the list, you can sign up to be on that list. Simply go to sarahwerner.com. And there's a little bar sort of at the top where you can type in your email address. You can also scroll all the way down to the bottom of my website and you'll get this little pop-up that entices you to give me your email address so that I can send you fun emails. Otherwise, a huge thank you to Barbara Kyle for her time and her patience and her elegant and gracious words. Thank you, Barbara, so much from all of us. And thank you, yes you, for tuning in and listening to this very first episode of Coffee Break. If you find that you enjoyed it, awesome, stay tuned. Uh, These will be coming out every Thursday. If you find that you didn't enjoy it, I guess 
keep listening anyway? <laughs> Maybe you'll enjoy the next one. Until next time, I wish you words and warmth and all the best in your writing. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you again next week for another coffee break. Thank mm-hmm. you.